Hey, this is Pastor Nate Cook, and you're listening to Pontificating Pastors, a podcast where we lock two pastors in a room and just let them talk about anything and everything. My friend Michael Pig is a church planner in San Marcos, Texas, and I'm a traditional church pastor here in Midwest City, Oklahoma. Today on the podcast, Michael is off on vacation, and so I get together with one of my former students, Pastor Ryan Gage. Ryan and his wife, Ashley, are the creators of Real Black Fridays, where they post videos and discuss racial reconciliation and the church. So we hope you'll sit back and relax and enjoy this episode of Pontificating Pastors. Hey, this is Pastor Nate, and uh, usually I'd be saying, hey, Michael, how are you doing this week? But Michael went on vacation, so pontificating pastor is going to look a little different this week, but I'm really glad to have with me uh, a former student of mine, if I can say that. I was just (laughs) telling him he's really not that much younger than me in my first youth ministry. uh, Mr. Ryan Gage was, I think, a sophomore when I started youth ministry here at Midwest City Community where I'm at now. And uh, so I've known him since he was a teenager. And as we do in ministry, I've watched him from afar much on Facebook and we've missed each other. I was in Hutchinson and he was in Hutchinson, but in different times. So Ryan, welcome to the podcast today. Um, I'm glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. It's great to, to be with you and see you again. Yeah, and um, I was thinking back about some memories, and actually you were my director in a a play called The Borrowed Tomb. (laughs) Do you remember that? I do, yeah. 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 Oh, my word. I I think I was Nicodemus in that play, and uh, I don't remember, honestly, but I do remember that my wife was the woman caught in the act of adultery, and I wanted to ask (laughs) if you typecast her for that role. (laughs) Uh, you know she just had a she was a great actress and i knew that she would be able to to pull the role off i don't know to pull that off yeah 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 she's gonna love it when she hears this but no i remember the thing i remember about that production was just how much fun we had and i that's one of the things i loved about working with you as a when you were our director but also when you do skits at church with my brother-in-law, just right. the fun. Yeah. Like, there was so much fun. Right. Uh, and, and you made life pretty fun for us as youth pastors. I remember a Forrest and Bubba skit <laughs> an announcement. I don't even remember what the context was, but we, you might remember more than me. I, I don't. I just remember when the movie Forrest Gump came out, and Dave and I were like, hey, we need to create something. And I, if I remember correctly, it started at Teen Camp. Um, Probably so. Yeah, I think it was like Talent Night. And so we just made up a, a skit based off of Bubba and Forrest and Southeast Oklahoma Teen Camp. But then it went on and came back to the yeah, church. Yeah, kind of grew. It, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, my word. It was so funny. Um, it reminds me, too, of just how how fortunate I was that the church was willing to kind of invest in uh, the the creative arts that, you know, God has given me and their willingness to just kind of go along with it. And, you know, Oh yeah. You know, it was, it's, I don't know if many churches 
will do that today. So it's it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, and one of the things I loved was that your mom and uh, Teresa and Bertha, some of our our folks there at the church, had that drama group. And you know, I still wish we had a drama group at community because those things just added so much to the service. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. And I remember, and this may get us into our topic today. I remember going to Antlers, Oklahoma, and we stayed in a hotel, and they wouldn't let us swim in the pool. And and to be honest, Ryan, that was the first time I had encountered racism in that way. Mm-hmm. Because your mom was like, you know why they're not letting us swim in the pool, right? Yeah. Now? And I really didn't, to be honest. Like, I grew up in a very white environment growing up, and... I, it, it was beyond me that someone would shut down the pool. And so I remember getting really angry and telling the guy, I'm a chemist, I'll test the pool. Because right. he was like, our chemicals are out of whack. And yeah. and he was frustrated. And and uh, and so eventually, um, that was kind of my first um, in, indoctrination in a side way, because it wasn't necessarily me that it was being aimed against, but into kind of some of the systemic stuff that we've been dealing with uh, mm-hmm. racism in our country and and so you know I was I was very green and all of that and and so one of the reasons why I had you on today was because I've been so impressed um, since all this stuff happened with George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and then we're you know hearing cases with Elijah McClain and people like that as well um, just the I think there's an awakening going on um, in the church, even um, with you know normal people who wouldn't consider themselves to be racist, but realizing there's a whole story of of the United States that maybe some of us have just chosen to not see, right. or maybe weren't taught. You know, I grew up in Texas, and I really appreciated uh, you and your wife's first episode about Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I grew up in Texas where Galveston is, and it was not in my history book growing up. So so I didn't even know that that's how Juneteenth began. And so I've asked you on today because I I wanted to get some of your perspective. And also, I just wanted you to get to share what you're doing with us because I want our listeners to be able to jump in. I've been sharing it on my Facebook page. But tell me a little bit about, you started, on Juneteenth, you started what's called Real Black Fridays, Mm -hmm. and it's you and Ashley, your wife, talking just honestly with the church, and I love love your perspective of the church, because I think it's really grounded in in becoming a positive influence in our society, so, um, but, but just talking with the church about some of the difficult things, and you've had two episodes so far. Um, the last one, you just shared some of your own personal stories and uh, really appreciate that perspective because I think once we hear other people's stories, uh, we can't just say, well, that's not really what happened. We, you know, these are our friends and we see that, okay, this is happening in our world to people we love and, mm-hmm. and people we know and it's not just out there somewhere right. because it's really easy right. to dismiss it if it's just out there somewhere. Yeah. So you started Real Black Fridays and I could tell this is kind of like, a Kairos moment for you, if you will, you know, that moment in time where God asks us to do some things. It kind of feels that way to me. Like Esther, you know, maybe you were here for such a time as this. And I kind of get that impression that that's why you started. But I'll let you begin and just tell us a little bit really about 
about the dream and the vision. Yeah. So, and, and you know this since, you know, I grew up there in, in Midwest City. Um, you know, obviously the majority of our congregation was white. Um, obviously we had Miss, Miss Curley and Cheryl uh, and, and other people of color in the congregation. But then, um, you know, I went to SNU um, and, you know, SNU is a predominantly white university. And so, you know, and then going into ministry as well, we have lived the vast majority of our lives um, in predominantly white settings, especially in our roles in ministry. And so as all of this was was kind of happening uh, during the pandemic, you know, my wife said to me, she goes, I, I really feel like we, you know, the, the spirit is leaning into me that we need to talk about this. We need to have this discussion. Um, and part of that was because we knew that, you know, so for our entire ministry career, we have been in predominantly white congregations. We have either been, well, every time we have been the only people of color on staff, but then in almost all of the settings, we have also been the only people of color in the congregation. And so we have this, I feel like a unique lens of, you know, being people of color um, and, and being, and being the literal minorities in those settings and how that, uh, you know, when things happen in our society and in our culture, you know, how sometimes it can be easy to be dismissive of those events because, you know, we are in a predominantly white culture. Right. And so, um, right. there were, there were times where it felt lonely because, you know, we would see another shooting of, an unarmed black person. And that, that affected us completely different than, you know, the people that we were on staff with. Um, and so, right. so, yeah. you know, so then, so we began conversations with ourselves as a couple um, before we said, okay, let's, let's put this out there and see what happens. And so, and part of it, you know, for starting the page was what you were saying that it can be very easy to be dismissive about all the things that are happening in the news cycle and, in other places in the country because it's not happening directly where you are. And so, you know, for us, we felt like if we can somehow show how, even though, you know, uh, another shooting has happened in St. Louis or in Chicago, here's how it affects, you know, people of color in your local context. Here's how it affects the people of color within your own congregation. Um, and so that's kind of how, you know, Real Black Fridays was kind of birthed. Um, and a lot of it too was, you know, we had to do a lot of interior personal work ourselves. Um, you know, if I'm completely honest, you know, we kind of had to uh, realize where we were kind of complacent in in behaviors, you know, of, of maybe some racist behaviors or, you know, some, some tokenism behavior for the sake of helping our white friends feel comfortable, um, you know, because we didn't want to rock the boat. Um, you know, you feel like, some of some of your blackness is tethered to your success and if you are too black or if you are too aggressive then you know something could be taken away from you so all those kinds of things we had to kind of grapple with as a couple and and kind of come into our own discovery and an identity of as who we are as people of color but then also who we are as people of god um and so, yeah, so we're, you know, we're two episodes into it. We're about to film episode three tomorrow. And I think each one gets a little bit more personal because, you know, as we get further into these conversations, the work becomes, I feel, more difficult, right? Just just heavier conversations because 
it's requiring you to do a lot of interpersonal work and you have to be willing to do that and recognize where you have had bias um, or, or where you were kind of green and didn't realize, you know, some of these things were happening around you. And then what do you do with that? You know, do you, you kind of tuck it all away and act like it doesn't happen or do you acknowledge it, you lament it, but then you, you leverage your, your platform to help make change, if that makes sense. Yeah, man, I really, it really struck me when you just said too black. Mm-hmm. It, I might want you to unpack that a little bit it, so that our listeners know. I think I, I know where you're going with that, but I, I do, I feel some of the same pressure and I don't want to say it's the same thing because I, I wouldn't say I would walk in your shoes, but to say too much from the pulpit, mm-hmm. um, to, to go too far, yeah. right? because you know, you've got people on both sides. And, and it's the same, you know, that that kind of feeling of this is my livelihood. I have a family. Um, so what kinds of things would you say you've had to feel like you've had to hold back on if you if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, well, let me back up and say this. One of the things that we want people to to realize is that for us as people of color, it does not matter how how educated we are or how articulate we are, um, how well dressed we are. Um, you know, people who are racist will just see, you know, the color of our skin and that's that, right? And so um, now when you go back and talk about, you know, your blackness, you know, uh, without it, I don't want it to sound stereotypical, but a lot of times, and these are the things that we have to work with, um, people of color can be immediately stereotyped, right? We can be stereotyped by you know, how we speak or how we dress or, you know, those things. I, I remember one time uh, when I was in college, um, when my grandmother died and I had gone back to Southeast Oklahoma to be a part of the funeral. I was in a travel group for SNU um, and I had spent like a week and a half with my family. And um, you know how when you get with your your relatives, you know, you you have memories, you end up kind of uh, emulating, you know, conversation and things like that. And so when I had got back with my travel group friends, I got in the car and started talking. And one of my friends said, why are you talking like that? What, what has happened to you? Yeah. Why, you know? Yeah. And so I, that was kind of the, the first time that I was really made aware of my blackness being, being labeled, right? Like, you know, yeah, that maybe you had kind of soften that around mm-hmm. your white friends. Right. Yeah. Right. And so my my kids say I turn into a child when I go to my mother's house. Mm-hmm. They say you act crazy. You like you act like you're 15 years old again. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, I kind of do. I kind of <laughs> take that role back on as cuz I was always the cut up in my family, mm-hmm. you know? Um the the not so serious, make a joke about everything, have a lot of fun kind of kid. That's a second kid thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of second kids yeah. are like that, or or, or youngest children. Right, right. So it's that. Yeah. I, so I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, the idea that somehow you are suppressing a part of who you are um, for the sake of comfortability amongst your your friend circle or whatever setting that you are in, and so I think what is happening right now. Um, you know, we obviously we have become a lot more vocal in some of the things that are happening. And I feel like, well, I know this because I've had several conversations with, you know, friends that I went to school with in college or even in high school, you know, who have said, you know, why are you talking about this now? You've never spoken about this. You know, why didn't you share this? And there was 
you know, and I had I had to process that and realize, you know what, there wasn't for me, it felt like there just wasn't the space for that because, you know, I was the only person of color. Right. And so there was this part of me that felt like, oh, well, they're not going to understand. Um, I don't want to feel sound like I'm a wimp or that I'm going to be this angry black man. So, you know, you just kind of suppress it and you try to find other people of color to kind of walk through it and, and go on. And so and so that's the part where, you know, where I was saying earlier, where we've had to do some of that work ourselves and realize, you know what, we we realize now that we probably had opportunities to share. Um, but for whatever reason, we were not comfortable enough to to open ourselves up in that space. Yeah, that's really good. And I don't I think that applies to all of us, because honestly, Ryan, I'm in a in a time of soul searching mm-hmm. myself and and thinking, you know, um, I, I, I've i been reading a little bit in White Fragility and the book that you gave us to be the bridge. Yeah. Um, and it makes you look back at at your like your reactions to things. And in White Fragility, I remember she asked these questions like um when, when people said, don't go to that neighborhood, what kind of neighborhood was it? When people, and you know, as I begin to hear those words, like it's, it's very convicting mm-hmm. that there, there has been a narrative that's run. And like you say, and, and the, I've talked to people who say, I can't go to the store and like bummed out clothes, sweats or whatever. Like I won't be treated the same way as if I'm dressed nicely. Right. And you know, I, I'll be in the middle of doing the lawn and I won't even think about going to the store and like, my wife will get mad at me, but 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 nobody in the store cares that I'm wearing like old man loafers right. with basketball shorts and a cutoff shirt. And and so I do think one of the things that God is doing in me and and I hope many of of your white parishioners, I think why people have responded so well to your real Black Fridays is because I, I this is a horrible moment in time in some ways, but also it's an awakening mm-hmm. uh, for many of us. And I didn't live through the 60s, and I've just heard about it. And to be honest, I didn't do my homework well. You know, this journey for me um, really has been, since I've been in Midwest City, like even as your youth pastor, and I probably should apologize. I was thinking about some of the lessons I taught early on, and I I just want to apologize to you for, you made it in spite of me (laughs) as a a minister of the gospel. Um, But I do think that I was not, even cognizant of race relations in a very diverse area. Mm-hmm. And I had so much to learn, but, but, but the last few years we, I've been just trying to listen more, been going to the Martin Luther King silent March, our district NYI kind of took that on. Thanks to some friends at OKC first who had the suggestion Yeah, and we, uh, we've been going and it was the first time I'd heard the black national anthem, um, you know, somebody would get up and speak before, and I wouldn't agree with everything that was said, but at least I heard from a different perspective of like the events going on in our society. Mm-hmm. I would see that our governor wouldn't show up on that day. And there was like this running joke, like it's the third Monday every January. Like, right, right. Put it on the calendar. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. like it's, it's not hard to remember. And, and um, I think our new governor did show up, but but I went for two or three years and the governor didn't show up. And it was it was just like a kind of a slap in the face to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just see all these things now that that before I could just be ignorant about. Right. right? And right. so, you know, for me, it's going to be a long process of 
of relearning mm -hmm. uh, of you know of relearning history and uh and you know i've been watching some movies that people have recommended to me um and and you know there's some tough questions like in the book you you recommended to our book club which we'll meet tonight actually um, she says, yeah, what kind of, what kind of shows do you watch? What kind of artists do you like? <laughs> you know? And, and she pegs me like the office, like she, all these things. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Um, so I've been trying to, I've been trying to like expand my, my, my horizon a little bit, yeah. uh, going, going overseas and, and doing like in Quintro and some things like that have helped too. Cause I've seen the worldwide mm -hmm. church, but, um, yeah, I just think it's really interesting how um, some of those subtle narratives that we just kind of accept, like like underlying leave groups of people out. And so so I I'm with you in that we're all having to do the tough work right, right now. Right. Um, and I hope that we don't let the news cycle in. This is what Michael and I have talked about in a previous podcast, because we tend to be where the news cycle is. Then it's over. I had a friend say to me. Um, cause I, I, I went to a March and I was just listening and, and trying to like hear what the black lives matter movement is saying. And I, I went, and one of the things I heard is if you're not allies, if you're not with us for the long haul, then we don't want you here. Like, right. like that was kind of right. thing. But my friend said to me, that's because I'll never stop being black. You can choose to be an ally or you can choose not to be an ally, mm -hmm. but I don't choose like, and this guy is a big guy. He said, when I walk into a place people know that I'm a, a large black man. Yeah. I just appreciate the hard work you're doing and I know it's not easy. <laughs> so I want you to talk a little bit about, about both. You've talked a lot about people taking time stepping away mm -hmm. and then you've also talked about that you can't expect your black friends to carry the ball for you right as white people so <laughs> we, I, I would love to hear what you have to say about this so you know i i think it's important for us to continue to to remind people that you know yeah this is a long haul right that and and part of the problem with with social media today is that you know it can be what i sometimes what i call immediate faux activism, right? It's easy for us to jump on a bandwagon on social media um, and type it in or, you know, put the label Black Lives Matters on your wall or whatever and call it good and call it a day. Um, and, and be woke for doing it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, in, in okay, you know, sure, we want you to recognize that and acknowledge that but then also too you know the next question is is are you willing and able to do the work that's going to come with that because it is going to be difficult and i and one of the things that ashley and i love about latasha's book is that you know she is constantly reminding you to walk into the space with humility and it's not just for white people right it's also for black yeah. people you know we we all have to come to this table with a humble spirit and recognize you know what we all have things to learn from this. Um, none of our none of our ideas about history are perfect, and so. But if we can come to that table humbly and be willing to listen, and not just talk for the sake of talking or to get your point out there, but really being earnest listeners, 
um, that's what's going to change. The problem is, is that, you know, that's not sexy enough for, for social media, right? I hope I can say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, you can say that. Right. We've like, said worse. <laughs> uh, you know, like it's not, you know, it's not fast enough. It's not immediate enough. And so it feels like right now there are a lot of people that are, you know, skipping, you know, that major step of of listening, that major step of, of being able to really hear people's story and hear their pain, you know, behind that. Um and so if, you know, if, if I can say anything to people, it's, you know, please continue to listen. Sure, it may feel like it is not active work, but it really is active work. You know, take the time to hear people of color and hear their stories. And if for some reason, you know, you don't have people of color in your immediate friend circle, you somehow have to change that, right? And, and be careful, yeah. you know, don't just, you know, stop at a gas station. If you see a person of color, you know, stop, <laughs> stop and say, hey, I need to be your friend. You know, let's let's go hang out or whatever the case might be. Um, yeah. I mean, you probably have to be a little bit more subtle in, in that. Yeah. But, you know, even you know, if you're a parent and not just find one token person of color that represents all people. Right. Of color. Right. Yeah. Don't let yeah. them be your only. And, you know, and, and that's the other thing, you know, Ashley and I make very clear is, is that we are not trying to speak for the totality of the black community because all of our stories are are distinctly different right you know whether that is how we grew up or where we are currently geographically because you know obviously the things that we have experienced in nampa Heights, idaho are completely different than what people in chicago have faced or you know new york right. or whatever the case might be um so you know, don't let, you know, the one person of color be your only. I think Latasha says it that way in her book. You know, keep keep finding different voices and hear those stories. And you'll you'll discover how we all have similarities and you know and values and you know, you know, we all want to be able to raise our families in safe places. And, you know, we all want to work and be comfortable, you know, things like that. Uh, anyway, so keep keep listening. Um you're the other question. Oh, what was it? Um, what did you ask me? <laughs> uh, I was about to say, I think I've even forgotten. But, um, well, the first one was about, uh, well, doing the work yourself. Yeah. Did we already talk about that? No, no. Yeah. So um, it can be, <laughs> uh, I'll be completely honest. There have been moments where, you know, people have wanted to ask us questions or ask questions about race and the immediate reaction is to turn and look at us because we are the only people of color in the room um and we were with a group of people not long ago and i said yeah hey i'm not going to answer this question for you like you you guys need to talk about this as well and part of that is because again you know we because our story is so unique you know we it can be easy for us to share, you know, in the the stories of how we were treated, you know, bad because of our race or, you know, we can talk about that. But, you know, what we also want to know is, is you know, how how are you engaging in this conversation? What are the things that you are learning, um, whether that is a, a new piece of history that you had never heard of or even personally, you know, or how have you recognized a racial bias in your own life? And once you recognize that, what what do you do with that? And the thing is, is that I don't, I don't think, especially I'll say this to, you know, our white brothers and sisters, when you have these aha moments or these awakening moments, we don't, you are not required to, to publicly broadcast this, right? We are not looking for you to shout it from 
the rooftops that you you know you have become woke or you've realized this and you are <laughs> lamenting this um but you know but at the same time you have to ask yourself what are you going to do with that how are you going to make it different right how are you going to um change the sphere that you are in now that you know this now that you've made this self-discovery it's not necessarily about you know you posting something on facebook or right uh, you know how are you how are you then going about and developing a relationships with people in your community how are you engaging with organizations and activities that are helping to change systems within your community right and a lot of right. that can happen you know privately like i can remember um you know one of the things and i didn't tell people this just because i i don't know i just didn't but in high school well, actually in middle school every year i went to um a prayer breakfast for a uh, martin luther king and claire looper was always there and i always got asked to sing um and i didn't you know of course I, right <laughs> yeah that was the thing like oh hey we need you to come sing come on we need you know we need your voice and so no, I, you know, well, you're still getting asked to sing at funerals of my people. Of, so right. You take that as a compliment, <laughs> uh, which I'm always, I'm always honored to do that. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it wasn't something that we, that I advertised or, you know, made public. Part of that is because, you know, we didn't have social media. I probably would have, but anyway. Um, yeah. But it's the idea of you can, you can do work behind the scenes, right. To be an effective agent of change. It's not, Again, we're not we're not looking for public broadcasts or you know public platforms, but you know how how are you doing this work personally? And that and that it's okay to do it privately. If that makes sense. Yeah, I remember another time I had a little bit of an awakening. I don't know if you've ever seen Kahinde Wiley's uh, paintings, mm -hmm. but we were they they had an exhibit here in Oklahoma City. I remember the words that he had written about how he became a painter, and it was just like. I never saw anybody like me in the paintings mm -hmm. I, when I would go into art studios. And so he takes these famous like European paintings and paints these huge canvases. I mean, you just stand in front of them. I don't know if you've seen one in person, yeah, but yeah. Uh, they're just enormous. And I remember thinking, you know, that's something I would have never even thought about. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, seeing something and realizing that no one like me is represented in this in this medium and then going and doing something about it. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of art, I need to get your impression. I know you're a big musical person, so Hamilton just came out. <laughs> Had you seen it before? No. Um, Had you been able to? No. So we've never seen it live in person. And it's funny. Um, it was actually my wife who said, you know, hey, you really need to, to listen to this. Like she jumped on the bandwagon really fast. And so I listened to it. And I was like, "Yeah, it's great. Like, it's it's cool. I like it. Like, it's got a good beat. It's got a good feel." But I'm such a visual person, and especially being a performer, yeah. like, I wanted to see like the costuming and the staging, like, you know, see how how you know the music fit with everything that was happening in the production. And so I was, and which I'm like this with any Broadway musical that I've listened to before I've seen it. I'm always a little bit hesitant because I'm like, well, I need to see the you know the totality totality of it. So when it came out. You know, I sat in the living room and just cried the entire time. Yeah. And, you know, part of that is, you know, because kind of like what you were saying with that artist was that you were finally able to see somebody who looked like you um, playing characters who who were white. 
you know, so part of, you know, part of my life, you know, in the performing arts world was that, you know, you go to these auditions, you know, you do your best, but you, you always felt like I was not given a part because, you know, traditionally these characters were, you know, white men. And so, you know, I remember uh, one time an audition I had in Florida where um, I had a really good singing audition. I had a really good dancing audition. I had a really good uh, acting audition. And I, I figured that I would get a part. And so I was called back for uh, a callback and did the callback. And at the end, the director said, you know what? He said, you are super talented. You are incredible. He said, but I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't know what to do with you. Um, and, right. and I remember the music director, he was in the audition as well. And he said, you know, he said, you should... He said, we'll somehow figure out how to cast you. He said, but you definitely need to come back uh, when we do Ragtime and when we do uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. He goes, but then also, too, you know, we're going to get the rights to do The Color Purple. And we know that we'll definitely need you for that. And so it was that that reminder, yeah. you know, reminder again of being pigeonholed because of the fact that right. I'm black. And so, you know, Hamilton has 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 flipped the script on, you know, how we can go about casting and, uh, you know, really it becomes about your capability as a performer as opposed to we you know we need to find a white person to play George Washington right and so um yeah it's it's really yeah, inspiring that was pretty powerful yeah and man the 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 scene where they talk about forgiveness at the end mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Man, I was in I was in tears about yeah that. just just such good stuff and, and then I have to be honest, I, I read too much sometimes and the next morning or a couple of days later, I woke up and I read that now there are people who think that Hamilton is not woke enough. Apparently, <laughs> Have you heard this? I have, you know, like, oh my you goodness. know, immediately it was the, you know, the one conversation about how the musical is not, you know, accurate historically and you know, and then, you know, yeah, right. Hamilton wasn't woke enough, like the musical paints him out to be. And it's one of those things where it's like, hey, you have to remember, you know, this is the beauty about performing arts is that you you have the license to create something, and especially when we're talking about historical figures. Yes, yeah. you, you want there to be historical points. And I even think Lin-Manuel Miranda points to this, you know, for example, um, you know, Angelica Schuyler, you know, when they actually met, like she was actually already married before, you know, she had met Alexander. And so, you know, okay. but for him, he goes, you know, it is a far more interesting story to to weave it the way that they wove it in the context of the musical. Right. It just adds a little bit more yeah. drama. And so, yeah. you know, this idea that, you know, that that performing arts have to be exactly right is. You know, I think that's a little humbuggish, if you will. Yeah, um, that's a that's called a documentary, right? And people, right, there's a reason why a lot of people hate documentaries. Right. Yeah, and you know exactly. <laughs> and the, so the beauty about musicals like this is that if anything, it is going to point people to do the work to you know go out and read more about Alexander Hamilton, to read more about yeah. Eliza and what she did, you know, in those fifty years that she lived. Um, yeah, I did not know that at all. Right. And so which tells you how we kind of don't recognize the women's contributions in those days. Yeah. As well. Yeah. One of my friends said that she's like she watched it and she goes, um, so is this really about Eliza? It's not really about Hamilton. Right. It's about Same her telling the from story. Our group. Right. Yeah. 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 So I'm looking so, forward to a musical that'll be about 
the founding mothers and you know their contributions and I, someone should yeah. someone should write that <laughs> well and i think with art like you're saying like you know i used to think these stories were based on true stories were mostly based on true stories but I, I remember reading about Hoosiers that basically it was a small town that won the state title and that was about it. Mm -hmm. It was real from the movie. Everything else was pretty much <laughs> made up. So, right. um, but it's still, it was still, was, you know, a great movie. And uh, anyway, so as a basketball player, at least growing up when I was a kid. So, yeah. hey, um, you know, I'm really sad. We were going to get to see you guys for the first time in a long, long time. I know. On our way to Portland this summer, and we decided probably going to the Pacific Northwest wasn't the best place to be traveling during COVID. We were, I've never seen NNU, yeah. so I wanted to do that. And uh, I know you guys are right there. Um, have a lot of respect for your pastor as as far as theologian and preacher, mm -hmm. and one of my heroes, and just love to see where you guys are at. and. And just love what you guys are doing and really proud of all the work you're doing um, just musically as much as anything else. But now that you've kind of felt this call of God, I'm, I just love to see people living into the call. And, and you really are making a difference. Oh. Um, you're making a difference in my life and uh, in my church. And um, we're just trying to encourage people to begin to do the work. Yeah. And I appreciate your honesty, your vulnerability, and your just willingness to speak out, because like you said, you know, sometimes there are um, unwritten kind of consequences in some of this stuff. And, right. And I will pray for boldness for you as well as wisdom. Um, one question as we go, if you if you had one thing to say to the church, you're a pastor. I'm a pastor. This is pontificating pastors. Mm -hmm. uh, if you had one thing to say to the church during these days, just just one thing you would say, church... I would love it if we were this way. What would you say to the church? Um, that may be too long of an answer. No, I I think that if I could say anything, it would be, you know, dear church, we have to remember that we are in the service of an upside down kingdom, right? A kingdom yeah. that is calling us to to be countercultural, um, and that if we are not careful. Um, our voice will end up sounding a lot like culture. Um, you know, it is it is not political to care for um, the less than. It is not political to care for the marginalized. And so, in our in our messaging, we have to keep it gospel centered, right? Um, yeah. I was thinking about you know the parable of the lost son. And I think even Scott was saying it this last week in his message, you know, usually when we hear that parable, we tend to gravitate toward, you know, the lost son who came back home, you know, the love that the father had lavished on him. Um, but a lot of times we forget about the older brother and kind of his behavior and his attitude toward the brother. And, you know, yeah. I keep thinking if we're not careful, the church... Um, will sound a lot like the older brother as opposed to sounding like the father and being full of compassion and grace and and love, right? Um, yeah. So when I read that story, if you read it in its context, Jesus is talking to Pharisees who are upset because he's, he's, he's messing and, and having dinners with these sinners, mm -hmm. in quotation marks. And, and so really the story is, 
about the older brother and the tendency of the Pharisees to be the older brother. Right. And how easily we fall into that trap as the church. Right, right. Um, and really, really, we should be thinking about the loving father because the loving father also invites that older brother in to have the party mm -hmm. if he will join. Mm -hmm. And so we can all join in together regardless of where we find ourselves in that story. So, yeah, that's really good. Uh, remember what kind of kingdom we're, we're living in. Yeah. Hey man, I just want to say I love and appreciate you and your family. I'm so thankful for the work you're doing. I, like I said, I followed you from afar on the Facebook world and, uh, I, I just have a lot of respect for you, your talent, but also your willingness to listen to God's heart. And I feel like God is using you in ways you probably don't even know at this time. Oh, so, well, thank thanks, you. Thanks for being willing to come on with me today. Yeah. Um, I apologize for any ways that I screwed you up back in the day, <laughs> but it seems like you've recovered well. And uh, you know and what? I do love you guys. You, you were an incredible youth pastor. And I, I have no doubt that you are an incredible lead pastor. Um, I, I am thankful to you for just laying the groundwork uh, in my life, you know, you were uh, in so many ways just number one, an, a, an adamant supporter of me. Um, you know, you were the one that introduced me to SMU and helped me see uh, the reality and the possibility that I could even think of going there. And so I, I am here because of you. So, so thank you. Well, I wouldn't say that, but thank you. And we love you guys. Um, We'll be praying for you during these days where you're, uh, people are listening, and, and I'm thankful that God has given you a platform um, because I see lots of people listening to your stories, and, uh, and I'll just pray for grace and wisdom for you, and if you'll pray for me, because we're really intentionally wanting to see more diversity at community, mm -hmm. and part of that is going to be have to be our leadership, and so pray for me as we seek uh, the best ways to go about that. I'm even having a board meeting tonight where we're going to discuss these things. So yeah. love you guys. And thanks again for coming on. Uh, look forward to getting this one out. It should be out in the next day or so. Okay. And I'll tag you guys in it. But hope you have a great rest of your week. And thanks for taking a little bit of time out of your schedule for me. Hey, thank you. All right. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, thanks again for listening to Pontificating Pastors. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor or any one of the other platforms. We hope you have a great week.